0: What a, full, what a beautiful day to be here and worship God, amen? Fantastic. We'll be in Luke chapter 10 here in just a minute. Now, the scripture talks very clearly about making not, not making rash vows and keeping your promises and, and all of that. And the last time we had a fifth Sunday singing, which we're going to do tonight as well. You're welcome to come and we, we just sing for about an hour or so and, and just uh, encourage each other that way. It's a great time. But the last time we had a fifth Sunday singing, I made the comment... To Dan Morgan and Mark Morgan that if both of you will lead a song at the next fifth Sunday singing, then I will run across the parking lot barefoot in a pair of shorts and t shirt afterwards and um, I'm starting to think I shouldn't have done that because they're talking about leading song tonight what's that Next January first <laughs> oh, that wasn't the deal, man. <laughs> next January 1st, it's got to happen. It's one of those things that I thought it was just fun to mess with Dan and Mark in that way. But there is a, it's a great time tonight to be able to come together and to, to participate in that. Now, we're back in the book of Luke. It's been a few weeks since we've been there. John Dufford preached, and, uh, and then I preached last Sunday talking about what I had shared at the youth rally, about there's tough stuff that happens in life. Just don't give up. That's the big thing. Just don't give up. Continue to put God first and continue to pursue him. And so we're going to get back into Luke chapter 9. And if you remember, here a few weeks ago... uh Uh-oh, hang on. Oh, there we go. Okay. A few weeks ago, I walked through uh, the first part of chapter 9, where we see that disciples go from being spectators to Jesus, including them in ministries. And so if you look in chapter 9, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles there. They go out, and Jesus tells them, teach the world about me, about this great ministry that I'm doing, and cast out demons and heal people. Now, that sounds like a pretty cool thing, doesn't Is You get to be the first person to go out and share the message of Jesus with people around, and you get to do so by casting out demons and and healing people and all that kind of thing. And you can imagine the excitement that happened in that. And then they get to participate and see Jesus feed 5,000 people. People out there, they're following him because they're listening to his messages and hearing them and seeing the miracles that he's doing. And he breaks bread and feeds 5,000 of them there. And the disciples get to be a part of that. And they gather up the the remaining pieces at the end. They are involved in that. That's an exciting time. You see him continue. And, Jesus, and some of them get to go up and participate and watch Jesus in the transfiguration, where he's transfigured to where they can't even hardly look at him because he's so bright. And Elijah and Moses are there with him. And... uh what, what a phenomenal, powerful experience. Experiences that change people. Experiences that are great. Those mountaintop experiences that you think, yes, is what it's all about. This is great stuff. And for the rest of chapter 9, we're going to see that the apostles go from this great mountaintop experience where they learn some tremendous things, down into the valley, where they're going to experience some, uh, some humbling circumstances that they probably didn't anticipate. Can you relate with that? Have you had those, whether spiritually or whatever else, there's times where we feel like we can do no wrong and we are unstoppable in life. You experience that? Sometimes that happens, but it doesn't last. And during those times where we hit the, hit the valley or we hit the bottom, there's, there's some very valuable things that God teaches us during those times that we can't learn any other way. So we're going to start in verse 37. I'll read through. It says, The next day when they came down from the mountain, so immediately afterwards, a large crowd met him. A man in that crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is only a child. The spirit, A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he forms at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Okay, So you have this father here, and you can sense the emotion in his voice. His boy, his only boy, has got this evil spirit that torments him constantly. And he's taking it to the disciples, and they can't, They can't send it out. And he comes to Jesus. You can just imagine the hurt, the the exhaustion in his voice, the emotion as he's saying, please, please just heal my son. Can you do this? Is there any way that you can do this? And Jesus says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him into the ground and a convulsion and Jesus but Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father, and they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Now Mark tells a similar story. Maybe it's the same story, maybe it's 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 a different circumstance. But Mark includes in, in chapter nine that Jesus said, these kind can only come out by prayer. And so maybe it was a situation where the disciples were, were, were so used to casting out demons and they were so excited about it, it's like, oh, that's no big deal, and this demon won't come out, and they are at a, w- a loss for how to deal with it, and they just don't think to pray to God in order to cast that demon out. Whatever it is in this circumstance, what we see is Jesus is frustrated because his disciples cannot drive out because of their lack of faith. They do not get it. They've come from these, this traveling around, uh, casting out demons. They've come from the, some of them, from the transfiguration. And then, first thing that happens, they fail in, in helping. Have you ever tr- tried to help somebody that you really, really wanted to help them, and you really wanted to, you wanted things to go well, and you just could not do anything to help them? All of us who have been around long enough have been in those situations, and it hurts And it's painful because we want so badly for the person to be healed or to be changed or whatever, and there's nothing we can do. And so the disciples find themselves in this situation here. They're trying to heal it, but they they just don't have the faith. They don't have whatever it is in order to do that. You can imagine the heartbreak that they have here. As Jesus says, oh, unbelieving generation, how long am I going to stay with you? Bring the boy here. I'll take care of this. I'll do this. The disciples think, well, we blew that one. That one didn't work out very well. Let's continue on. In verse um, last part of verse forty three. It says, While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. And so just after he casts out this demon, his disciples there, it says, All right, here's the deal. Remember what it's about, what I'm about, is I'm going to be handed over the religious leaders, that's what's going to be happening. That's what I'm about. And the disciples do not get it. It says it's hidden from them. Hidden from them by by Satan or hidden from them. For sometimes we just don't want to face up to what reality is. And maybe that's what's happening here. Because in their mind, they love Jesus. they, They believe in him. They're excited about all the power and the miracles he does. And an end in their mind where he's handed over and executed is not a good end. And so, for them, they're just thinking, no, 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 la, 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 whatever, Jesus, we know things are going to be better. You're, you may be frustrated, you may be discouraged, but that's not the way things are going to, do, going to happen. But in reality, the disciples don't understand Jesus' mission at all, at this point in time. They still, even after being with him for so long, they still don't understand his mission. Let's continue on. In verse 46, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who shall be the greatest. All right, so here we have the disciples debate who is the greatest. Isn't that... Man... They're missing it, aren't they? They're missing what the Jesus' kingdom is about. Because he's been teaching them that if you want to be great, you've got to become the least. You've got to be the servant of them. He shows them later in John at the Last Supper that he is, even though he is the greatest, he goes around and he washes the feet of every one of them. It should have been the, the least important person. If there was a child in the room, they would have said, Hey kid, come here and wash my feet, sort of thing. But Jesus, as the great teacher, gets down and he washes the feet of everyone there. Powerful stuff. And so what Jesus does in this particular situation is he, there's a child standing there somewhere in this group, and he has a child come. He says, this is it, okay? Children of the least, least powerful among us here. I welcome the child. And being great isn't about having the right title. It isn't about having the number of degrees you have. It isn't about having socioeconomic status or money or any of that kind of stuff. That's not what greatness is in my kingdom. Greatness is willing to accept and bring in those who are the weakest and give something for them. That's what... Greatness is here. And he chooses a child because a child is an example of weakness in this context. How we treat children, how we pe- treat people that are weak in our society, the outcasts, says a whole lot about how we understand, what we understand about God and how much Jesus has a hold of our heart. And the disciples are wrestling with this. They're fighting over who's going to be the greatest in, in Jesus' kingdom instead of saying, looking around saying, hey, look at all these people that we can bring in to Jesus' kingdom and and help and be a blessing for. Let's continue on. Look at verse 49. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. (laughs) Here's this guy over here doing something that the disciples couldn't do, drive out that demon. This someone else that they don't know is driving out demons in Jesus' name. And so immediately what John does, I'm going to go up and I'm going to stop this guy because that's not okay. Man, and Jesus says... Look what his response is. Do not stop him, for whoever is not against you is for you. Jesus is the, the statement, whoever is not against you is for you, that's not a universal statement that Jesus is making here. And we'll come to that in the future when we, uh, we fast forward in Luke a bit. But the point that Jesus is making here is, you as my followers, you've got a pride issue here. Because if you think that you're the only ones that are going to be doing good stuff and you try to trot, stop somebody else from doing good stuff... Then we got a serious pride issue here that you need to. That's not going to be okay. That's not. Go, that doesn't go in my kingdom, John. That's not how my kingdom works. If other people are doing good stuff, then be excited about that. If you don't know their name, if they're not part of your little group, whatever it is, doing good things is is not. You, you don't have a license of the only people that can do good stuff. All right, so let people do good things, and don't discourage others from doing good. Let's continue on one more here. Uh, verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. In the next ten chapters or so, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And, and everything that happens are the stories and, and uh, the, the situations and examples that happen as Jesus is walking to Jerusalem. Verse 52, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. The Samaritans were people that did not like the Jews and vice versa. Okay. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned to rebuke them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Okay. So what happens is the disciples, as they are going through Samaria, One of the towns doesn't welcome Jesus because they say, No, you're on your way to Jerusalem. We're not going to welcome you. Hey, the response is, let's call fire down from heaven and destroy this village. That's what we're going to do. Jesus says, No. That's not what happened. You remember what he told them to do? So when you're in a village and and they reject you, shake the dust off your feet. That's peaceful. It's not revenge-oriented. But the disciples here want revenge. They said some ugly stuff to us. Let's finish this now. Let's deal with this. Let's tear some heads off. Let's do this. Jesus says, no, that's not how it's going to work. It's not how it's going to work. You get, in these verses, you get the sense that after the disciples came from this great mountaintop experience, they come down into the valley, and there's some rough moments here, aren't there? Because... Sometimes maybe our, in our mind is the things that we love are obviously the great mountaintop experiences where our hearts are touched, where, where things are changed within us, where we're surrounded by great people and life is just good and we love that. But we see really clearly from, from Jesus and his disciples and, and this time of their ministry that leads them through is moment after moment after moment, they're missing it. And Jesus uses those moments to teach him some very, very important things. Look at the next verses here. Verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Whew, tough stuff there, isn't it? As Jesus shares what it means to follow him. Now, I'm going to take a time out here for just a second, because when we read that, that makes me terribly uncomfortable, and it probably does for you as well. What, is, what does that mean? Is Jesus saying that that if... I, I can't even say bye to my folks or bury my, my dad or um, can, I, can I not just, I mean, what, is, what does following Jesus mean here? Hey, Jesus uses what's called hyperbole or exaggeration sometimes to make a point. And we do too. We do the same things. Think about Jesus when he's in the Sermon on the Mount and he's teaching. And he says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Or if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Okay. Most of us are walking around here with two eyes and two hands. Okay. Why have we not done that? Because we understand Jesus' point is be drastic about sin. Be drastic. Don't just say, well, you know, you know whatever, maybe it will go away, maybe it won't, or whatever, but this is just between me and God. Jesus says, no, no, get drastic, get rid of it, and do it now. Because if you don't, it's going to consume you, it's going to destroy you. We understand that type of language. Or if uh, uh, we're, someone's watching a... I didn't ever play football, so I not, have not had this type of, of experience. How many of you played football at some point in time? Okay. Did you ever have a situation where at halftime the coach gets you in the locker room and sits you down and says, All right, we're going to finish this strong. I want you guys to go out there and I want you to tear everybody's heads off when you go out there. Okay. What happens if the team goes out and starts grabbing the other players by the head and start trying to tear heads off? Okay. No, 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 that's not what I meant. That's not... Okay, we understand that. We use that type of language all the time. And so what Jesus is getting across here is following me means giving up personal comfort. There's times where I need to give up my bed for others. There's times where I don't know where I'm going to sleep. There's times where I need to change and adapt because of, of following, following God. That's what it takes. Also, prioritizing kingdom over family. That's going to be... Um, that's, that's vitally important, and also eliminating excuses and distractions that, that bog us down. Because those things can all change us. Hey, let me give you just a kind of a funny example that, that helps me think about this in, in this term. I, have, um, I carry an Android telephone. Okay? Everyone in my family, Sylvia, my mom and dad, my sister and brother-in-law, all of them are Apple people. And they all have Apple. I am the lone Android holdout. And so I get all this pressure from, hey, Chris, why don't you get an iPhone? Why don't you do this? You know, all that sort of thing. And, and I said, look, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. It's not happening, okay? I am sticking with my Android phone, and that's it. And once in a while, I'll make a joke and say, well, maybe it'll be something like this. You know, sometimes there's someone who becomes a Christian in a family, and nobody else in the family is a Christian. And they say, well... Because none of the rest of my family is going to go to be with God, I might as well go with them and just spend eternity with them, even if it's, if, if it's in a bad place. And it's going to be the same with me. Is I'll get an iPhone I'll say, well, I drank the Kool-Aid now. Are you guys happy? You know, just, you know, it's a funny example, but, it, but there's a very serious point here. Okay? Is that Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, it's not always moments of transfiguration. It's not always going around being the first to share the message of God. It's not always being looking on the outward like, the, like we're successful. But what it means is giving up personal comfort, prioritizing kingdom over family, and eliminating excuses and distractions, and saying, no matter what happens, I'm on board, and I go, and I go with God, and I do it now. That's Jesus' point here. And so from valleys to mountaintops, I found this quote helpful. The path to the mountaintop of glory is through the valleys of sacrifice, service, suffering, and shame. Okay, you look at that. If someone's telling me, all right, Chris, i got a deal for you. Why don't you live a life of sacrifice, service, suffering, and shame? How does that sound? I I say, no, (laughs) no thanks. I'm not going down that road. Not interested in that. Why on earth would I do something like that? Let me give an example again from the sports world. How many of you are watching March Madness some right now? okay. Yeah, some of us are watching the the final tournament of the the um, NCAA men's basketball championship. It's uh, we're down to the the elite eight now, I think. Some of that's happening today. There was I watched a game with my family the other night, and uh, Duke was playing. And there was a guy playing for Duke, uh, Zion Williamson. Is that his name? Six seven and two hundred and eighty five pounds, and the guy moves. So just imagine that you set a pick and you've got six foot seven inches of 285 pounds of muscle coming at you. you know, imagine how scary that could be. But you look at these, these people, how they play. They have gone through all of their life practicing, disciplining themselves to be able to play that game and to play it well. And you think there is moments where the guys playing that game right now that are in the Elite Eight, do you think that they had times of sacrifice that they had to say, hmm, you know, I could go out and I could uh, eat ice cream um, and, and give myself a whole lot of ice cream and show up to practice overweight, and, or I could uh, stay out late all the time, all those sort of things. You know, there's exceptions of people that do that. But there's a lot of sacrifice to arrive at that level of the game. There's a lot of service that has to arrive, because if someone wants glory for themselves and is super concerned about glory for themselves and does not pass the ball to anybody else... What happens is the team loses. You get to that level, you have to have an idea of, I don't care if that point comes off my fingertips, but if I've got someone over here, that ball is going to them, and we're going to play as a team. I'm going to serve the others on my team. I'm going to have a lot of suffering. There's going to be some of these practices where Coach calls at 6 a.m. where there's going to be suffering, and I'm not excited about it at all, getting up. How many of you have had to do 6 a.m. practices at some point in your life? Yeah, I did. Completely pointless in my mind. The morale was not worth it. The morale that was, was destroyed because of that was not worth what, what came out of it. Suffering and shame. There is times, uh, and this is this one is, is not as applicable as the others, but when there's a loss, when things don't go as well, and the coach shames you because you didn't play as hard as you could, you didn't do as well as you could. You see, in everything in life, whether it be basketball or whether it be following God, the things that really matter... The mountaintop of glory only comes through these things. So what Jesus is going to show on his way to Jerusalem, and he's going to show on the cross, and he's going to show through the resurrection, is that this is why you do this. Look at that transfiguration. This is what I look like if you strip all the humanity away. There I am. You can't really look at me. And you just watch when I raise from the dead and I appear... You watch these people that put me to death, running scared because they don't know what to do with me now. You watch all of this. And my promise is to you that you live for me, then you go to be with heaven, in heaven with me where everything is perfect from here out. And believe me, it's worth any type of sacrifice, it's worth any type of service, it's worth any type of suffering, it's worth any type of shame that you have to go through in order to follow Christ because it is worth every ounce of it for what you get in the end. And that's Jesus' message to the disciples here. They fell, they, they messed up, they, they had so many immature understandings of what it meant to serve God. And he uses this as an example to say, it's all right, get up, learn from me, and it's worth every bit of it. And there may be moments, I think all of us hit those moments, where we think, man, is it worth Following Christ right now, is it worth doing things his way? I'm so tired of doing this. I'm so frustrated. And Jesus' answer to that is yes. Jump in. Follow me. Live out the abundant life of Jesus. It takes sacrifice. It takes service. It takes suffering. It takes shame, just like any other good thing to accomplish in life does. But the rewards are beyond your imagination. And that is something worth living for. I pray for that all of us, as we hopefully come in contact with the Gospel of Luke this week, we get a renewed sense that whatever we do and whatever we have to give up and whatever we have to, whatever ways we serve God this week, it is worth every bit of it for what's coming. And we wake up every morning believing that. If you'd like to become a Christian or you'd like prayers of the church, Welcome to Head to the Back. The elders are back there waiting to to pray with you, whatever needs you may have or whatever's on your heart. Let's stand and sing together. <clears throat>